Amen. So, all right, I just want to read some scriptures today, and I'm wondering if we could stand in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. We'll read verse two verses. And, you know, we stand because God, to honor God's word. And my words, what I have to say, aren't nearly as important as what God has to say. And so, um, in the Old Testament, during the reading of the law, they stood the entire time. I mean, women holding their babies, children. Uh, they, I, I don't know how long they stood during the reading of the law. So they had that honor, that respect. But in Galatians 4, verse 8, it says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Amen. I'm going to have my brother-in-law, Brother Blas Martinez, pray for this service today. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, just the simple title of this message is Known of God. Known of God. How important is it to know God? You, could, you can blurt it out. It's okay. You can say... It's essential. And it's not that it's just essential. It's the very first essential. You know, it's not one of the essentials that, you know, when we get around to it. But it's the very first essential in being a Christian, to know him. We've talked about that quite a bit here, right? To know him. And we've talked about the idea that when we uh, had visited the Napa Church a number of years ago, and you walked into the sanctuary on the left wall, it said, you know, as you're facing the pulpit on the left, it would be from this direction, it would be the right. It says, to know him. And on the other side, it says, to make him known. And so we've talked about how important that is. Can you make somebody kn known that you don't know yourself? You know, so we, 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 we really need to know him. How, how important is that? Uh, we need to know his voice, to know his ways, to know his thoughts. We need to know his mind and to make him known. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34 says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write, them in, write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Could you imagine uh, getting to the place where you won't tell your neighbors anymore to know the Lord? Have we gotten to that day yet? We haven't. And here's the reason why. It says, For they shall all know me. So our, our, the most important thing that we can do, the most important thing that we can tell people is you need to know the Lord. 
And whenever we get to the place where everyone knows him, we don't have to say that anymore because everyone knows him. But we haven't gotten to that place. That's also in Hebrews, that same as passages in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11, quoted in the New Testament. But Isaiah chapter 43 uh, starting at verse 10, we are to know him. I'm just quickly going over this. This is not the point of the message. I wanted to get to the point where it says known of God. We talk so much about knowing him and making him known, but does he know you? I just want to get to that point. But Isaiah 43:10. this is just a quick overview. It says, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. You are his witnesses. I am his witness. We've got to tell people that he is God, the Lord, he is God. People need to know that. That's the message that they need to hear. Isaiah 44 and verse 8, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed, but we are his witnesses. The church, we are the ones who declare who he is. We're the ones who let people know who Jesus is. Um, you know that we, Brother McAtee, uh, did a really good job at putting these frames around these doors. And we had that little slot right there, and we had these scriptures made, and we were able to put them on. And finally, this door was done, and we had one scripture left, and we just put this up. I don't know if anyone notices, noticed this verse, but this was just put up uh, a couple days ago. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So we're witnesses. This is Jesus speaking. We are to be witnesses unto him. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But not everyone knows him. We all know that not everyone knows him. And not everyone who thinks they know him really knows him. The Lord does not even know everybody. And how can this be? Isn't he omniscient? And not just omniscient, but absolutely omniscient. But the Lord does know them that are his. So that opening text that we started with said Galatians uh, in verse 9. It says, but now after that ye have known God, after you've known him, or rather are known of God. There is the verse before it says, how be it when ye knew not God, right? We know that if we don't know him, we cannot be saved. It's not possible. 
If you do not know God, you will not, you cannot be saved. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. You cannot be saved. So that's that first essential. You must know him. But now after that you have known God, now the apostle is writing and saying, after you've known him, you have known him. He asks questions to these individuals who have known God. He wants to know how it is that they turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. After that you knew God, how is it that you turn again, turn back to the weak and beggarly elements? There was a time when you were in bondage before that you knew God. How is it that after you've been made free by the knowledge of the truth, you turn again to those things in which you used to be in bondage to? How is it that you turn back? That's what the apostle is asking. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22 says, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It's actually worse now than it was before they were saved and before they knew him. For it had been better, verse 21 says, for them not to have known the way of righteousness then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. Have you guys seen that? It's kind of gross. The dog pukes and then eats it back up. You, do you enjoy that, Marley? See him when your dog does that. It's, it is really gross. It's disgusting. I, Brother Buddy was there. And, uh, I'm gonna, can I share this story? This has nothing to do with a dog eating its own. They'll eat, they'll eat some strange stuff. Dogs do. But I had a dog, a Dalmatian. She had puppies. There wasn't 101 of them. But she had a good-sized litter. And uh, Brother Buddy and Sister B, they had claims on one of the puppies from the litter. And... Um, they, you know, there's little sacks and stuff that the dog cleans off. And so there was this little puppy and the dog, my dog started like eating the puppy. It was like, and I, I was just so grossed out. I called brother, Buddy. I said, brother, buddy, I think my dog is eating the puppy. So he came over there and he goes, oh, yep, sure. He got down in there and I was like, I didn't want to touch nothing. It was gross. That, that puppy didn't make it. That dog had eaten, my dog had eaten half that puppy. But we made sure uh, she didn't eat any more of the puppies. <laughs> or Brother Buddy made sure. <laughs> they teased me after that for, you know, because, you know, I just couldn't get in there. But, yeah, the dog is turned again. And that's what it's like when you've had the knowledge of the truth and then you walk away. You're going back and it's... It's not good. It had been better if you had never known. You know, there's people that believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, then why would this verse even be in the Bible if that were true? 
If I've got to the place where I knew God and I could never be lost again, what would be the point of this verse? Maybe the, the apostle didn't know what he was talking about. But it had been better if they had never known than to turn away. So it goes on that verse that we read in Galatians 4, 9. It says, but now after that you have known God or rather are known of God. And that's that, that phrase that just jumped out to me. And over the years, I uh, have heard preaching. And they said, we've got to know him. But it's actually better that he knows us. It's more important that he knows us. Well, doesn't God know everybody? Well, does he? He knows everything about every individual. He formed them and fashioned them in their mother's womb. He was very intimately involved in breathing and giving them life. Every individual. But he doesn't know everybody. He knows everything about them, but he doesn't really know them. I started thinking about this phrase last week, and I met with Brother Riddlesberger on Wednesday for lunch. And I said, Brother uh, Riddlesberger, I've been thinking about this. And we talked about it for a while. And I called Brother Readout on Friday, and I said, Brother Readout, I've been thinking about this. And, and we talked about it. Uh, and I knew that it's important to know, to know God. And I know that it's important for him to know me. But I've thought about what, how do I know that he knows me? How do I know that he knows me in that scriptural sense? Is it possible to think that you know God, but you really don't know him? Is it possible? Is it possible to think that you know God and he not really know you? Does he know me? Does he know you? Are you known of God? We've talked about God being absolutely omniscient, which means he knows everything that can be known. You and I, we don't know. There's a lot of things to know. There's a lot of books a uh, lot of information on the internet. I mean, you could just come up with anything random. Say, I just want to learn about this. And, you know, you can look it up and you could spend the rest of your life studying it. There's a lot of information. He knows all that. He knows everything that cannot be known. There's some things that we just don't know. There's some things we can't know. He knows that. And he knows nothing. He's the only one who knows nothing. Not even anybody here knows nothing. We all know something. We were all here when something existed, but he's the only one that existed when there was nothing else. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows my heart. He searches. He tries the reins. He searches the heart according to Jeremiah 17. But Acts 15 verse 18 even tells us that known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He knows all his works and we're his handiwork. It says, uh, I think it's in Psalm uh, 100, I think it is, right? In verse 1, maybe? Is it? No, that's not the verse. Um, next verse, maybe. Maybe it's Psalm 100. Uh, verse 3? Yeah, that's it. That, that's it. That's the verse. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. 
We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We we didn't make ourselves. He made us. Uh, We didn't make ourselves. God knows everything about us. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Infinite means it just like goes on forever and ever. It never ends. God knows everything about you. I'm going to just pick on Vivek a little bit. Uh, Vivek, he knows everything about you. He was involved in your formation, even in your mother's womb. Vivek, you never really met your birth mother, did you? Vivek was in an orphanage in India as a little boy, and then he was adopted by a family. Um, But, and they're not exactly sure when your birthday is, right? They estimate, they have an estimated date. Okay, I thought Dan. I thought Daniel. You had said they weren't exactly. Okay. But God knows. God knows. He knows your life. I mean, He's been interested in you since uh, He began, even before you were born. He gave you breath. He has all the hairs of your head numbered, Vivek. He knows why you think the way that you think, whether you're right or whether you're wrong. He knows everything about you. But can he say that he knows you? He knew Abraham, we see in Genesis 18, starting at verse 18, seeing seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him. God said concerning Abraham, I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Exodus 33, 17. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, And I know thee by name. God knew Moses. He knew him by name. Um, I've shared this before that, but many, I I preached a message a number of years ago that was then the Lord spake unto Moses saying, um, when I was in in junior high, I was part of a time travelers club. It was at Gold Oak School and it was a Bible club. And it was coming near the end of the year. And there was a guy, and I seen him in there, and he had like a, um, you can get so many points for uh, memorizing scriptures, beatitudes, bringing guests, bringing friends. And the lady who was in charge of the club, her son and I were in the lead, and um, he was ahead of me. And I seen him one day, and, and he had this list of verses, just the references, and he said, okay, I got these verses, and he quoted them. He said, okay, John 3.16, for God's, you know, he quoted it. And so I was telling that to this lady that used to be my babysitter when I was little. Her name was Nora. And she said, you know, if they let you have the references, you could just, the, the most common verse in the Bible is, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, 
I said, great. It's like, I don't know. I found like 70-something times that the Lord said it. So I'm like, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying. So I went in there with my list of verses. And I go, this verse is, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying. This one is, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying. This one is, and the Lord spake unto Moses. They didn't let me have all those points. I think they gave me a little bit of credit for doing the work that I did. But I thought about that. The Lord spake unto Moses a lot of times. Moses heard his voice. He knew the Lord. He had a relationship with him, and the Lord knew him by name. Are you saying amen? Um, okay, the Google thing. Alexa, is that, was that, is that her name? Psalm 1 and verse 6 says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He knows the way of the righteous. Does he know your way? Just a question. So, you know the verse, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now, is there anything wrong with prophesying in the name of Jesus? No. Here's some individuals that prophesied in the name of Jesus. That seems like a good thing. It's not a bad thing, I wouldn't say. And in thy name have cast out devils. Is, is it bad to cast out devils in the name of Jesus? Is that a bad thing? No, that doesn't seem like a bad thing either. And in thy name done many wonderful works. They did a lot of great things in the name of Jesus. Is that bad? I think there's a scripture that says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're supposed to do everything in the name of Jesus. And so these individuals are saying, we've done a lot of things in your name, in the name of Jesus. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He said, I never knew you. They were doing a lot of things in the name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, I never knew you. How could you say that? Don't you know everything about me? How could he say that? You know, even the signs of a believer in Mark 16, it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In Mark 16, 17, it says, in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So how is it that Jesus can say, I never, not even once, I never knew you. The scripture that we talked about in Galatians, it said, you know, you've, you knew God, or rather are known of God. At least those individuals who had, were backsliding that, you know, Paul was addressing, at least they, it was said that they knew him. But he said in this case, he said many of them 
I never knew you. They're doing things in the name of Jesus. But he said, I never knew you. Remember, Vivek, I told you we were talking about relationship. I never knew you. So they thought they knew him. But they did not even know him well enough to know that he was not pleased. They thought they knew God, but they did not know him well enough to know that he was not pleased. And some people think they know God, but they don't know him well enough. They don't know him well enough to know that there are things that they do that are not pleasing to the Lord, that are not pleasing to him. I'm sure, uh, Michael, I'll pick on Michael for a little bit because he's just such a nice guy. I'm sure, Michael, that you could walk into the house and Danielle doesn't have to say anything and you probably could tell when she's upset. Pretty. <laughs> yeah. You know her well enough to tell. There's some people who think they know the Lord, but they have no clue that some of the things they're doing, it's just not pleasing to him. The Lord said he never knew them, even though he knows everything about them, even though he's tried the reins and the heart. He's been trying for years to get into their intimate fellowship, but to no avail. He told members of the church in the book of Revelation, Laodicea, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, this is to people in the church. He said, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. People in the church, he's knocking on the door of their heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's tried to knock on these doors, these individuals, their hearts but they haven't opened the door and had close, intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't want to have that close fellowship maybe with the Lord. Matthew 25 in verse 1 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. You may have heard this story before, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know ye not. 
Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. They came, and they came back. They, not, they said, let us in. He said, I don't know you. In John chapter 10, starting at verse 1, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. That's the triple oath, right? Because he says verily, which means truly. And he says it again, verily. Doesn't everything that he said say true? Isn't it? Is it all true? He's truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he said, verily. Was he just being repetitive or redundant? No, he's saying, verily, verily, I say unto you, the triple oath. Truth is speaking. He that, not, that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. Just like we read about Moses. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. I've shared this story before. Um, but when I was 18 or 19 years old, I worked for, I was a youth pastor in Los Banos at Life Challenge Ministries. It's the name of the church. And I worked for one of the men in the church. He had a business, a, a carpet cleaning business and an acoustic glow. So I worked for these, both of his businesses. And one day I had called him and his little daughter, she was probably about five or six. And... Um, she had, my boss told me she had a crush on me. So she's like five or six. And she answered the phone when I called. <laughs> and I had to disguise my voice. And I uh, said, is your, I asked, if, is your dad there? And she said, um, yes, who is this? I said, it's Mickey Mouse. But I disguised my voice, guys. I really did. And she said, no, is this Jim? And I said, how did you know? She says, because I know your voice. I didn't tell her it was Jim, but she knew my voice. And this verse says, Jesus is saying that the sheep, his sheep, they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. They know his voice. And I was talking to Brother Readout. He said, I know ministers who have never heard the voice of God. When he told me that, I was thinking, um, wow, if we're to be messengers and to bring forth his message, I think it's important to hear what he has to say. And maybe he... We need to know his voice. And it does say his sheep know his voice, thankfully, right? Because maybe when the little lambs are born, they're not grown up and matured sheep. They're, they still haven't learned the voice of the shepherd. But as they get close to the shepherd and as they're around that shepherd and they hear more and more, uh, they'll begin to recognize that voice. That's my shepherd. I've shared this before. You guys... I think we showed it here on a video 
a while back, but I had found this on YouTube and I thought it was just so interesting. Uh, they, the, these shepherds went and they had all these people and they said, okay, I want you to, these are, I'm the shepherd. These are the sheep. And you guys go ahead and try to call them, try to get them to come. And they started calling and whooping and hollering and doing all the stuff. And those sheep just kept grazing. He goes, now. And then he started calling. And those sheep all lifted up their heads. Not all of them. Some of the lambs. Uh, but when they saw mama come and run, and they were right after mama. And they lifted up their heads. They recognized that voice. And they started running. And there was another clip. You could see this on YouTube. And this shepherd showed, and he came to this edge, and all you could see was this kind of a, a, a ravine. It kind of went up, and it was just fog. You couldn't see anything. And he started calling, and all of a sudden, you've seen sheep running, coming out of the fog, running. They know the voice of their shepherd. And other people even tried to get to, to call and just to try to see if those sheep would come, and they couldn't get those sheep to come. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 14, and know my sheep and am known of mine. I know them and they know me. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I was thinking about the voice of the Lord and um, I read this passage in Psalm 29 and it looks like I'm I don't know if I have enough time to read it. Starting at verse 3, it says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to ship like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Thinking about the voice of the Lord. I just read this in my Bible reading this past week. And I wrote the voice of the Lord. And I was thinking about how powerful his voice is. And there's some who've never known the voice of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Apostle Paul writes, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. 2 Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Here's the seal of the foundation of God. The Lord knoweth them that are his. We've talked about knowing the Lord, making him known, but does he know you? Does he know you? Titus chapter 1, verse 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Do you really know him? 
Do you know him well enough to know that those things that you're doing, he's not pleased with? He's just not pleased with that. That grieves him because it's not what's best for you. Do you know him that well? Do you know him like that? I heard a message this past week, and I shared this with a couple people yesterday. Um, um, Niliak Zonk and um, Holly. <laughs> Niliak Zonk is the one that's sitting next to Holly. It's the best rendition I can come up with saying her name backwards. Um, it looks like Niliak Zonk. <laughs> But I heard a message this past week, and uh, I think it was by Ken Gurley, and he was talking about something, and I decided to look it up. I just wanted to verify and see what he was saying. And I learned about this first from Regina Kelly years ago. I've shared this before, too. Um, I had gone on a date with her. That was an interesting thing. <laughs> I don't know how that ended up happening. I have no idea, but um, she, like, I was talking to her, um, and she was, like, right here, and she'd step forward, and then I'd step back. <laughs> and I felt like she was just trying to get into my personal space. <laughs> and she kept getting closer, and I kept, she goes, okay, all right, so your personal space is, like, about right there. I was like, personal space? She goes, yeah, you know, learning about it in college. And I was like, oh, okay, personal space. So I heard this message by Brother Ken Gurley. And personal space is that region surrounding a person which they regard as psychologically theirs. This is my space. Don't be getting up into my space. Like, you're getting a little bit too close for comfort. But he said something interesting. There are some different, you know, we have different relationships. Uh, we all have uh, people that we don't really know that well. And they might be, we know they exist possibly, but they might be the public space. And public space is 12 feet and beyond. Most of the people in this world are in our public space. If you came up to me and asked me if I knew Joe Schmo. Do you know Joe Schmo? I would say I did not. I didn't even know he existed. Uh, I would believe you if you said, "Yeah, he does exist. Uh, he's my neighbor." I would say, "Yeah, I, I believe you." Uh, there's no reason because I know there's most people I don't know. Out of the eight billion people that they say, almost eight billion people on this planet, uh, and I've never verified that. I never went and, and did the counting myself, and I trust that they're probably right. They're probably close to 8 billion people. Um, some people, uh, I'm just not going to know. I, didn't e I don't even know them by name. I, I don't even know they exist. I know there's people out there that, that exist that I don't know. And there's a lot of people that have a re their relationship with God. It's kind of like that. They know he exists, right? They believe he exists. They've heard stories and uh, they may have even seen signs of his existence, and maybe they don't really know for sure, but they believe he's there. Uh, even though in him we live, 
and breathe and have our being, they still keep him in a certain distance, a certain distance away, that public space. They stay away from the things of God. They don't want to get too close. They don't want to get, uh, they don't want to pull the Bible off the shelf and read that Bible. They don't want to be close to the people of God. They never want to get to the place where they get closer than that public space. They're perfectly content thinking maybe there is a God, but I don't want to get too close. So they have God in that public space. And then there's the social space. And I was, this was what I was telling Caitlin. I said, Caitlin, you know, last Sunday, this meant a lot. When we had that potluck, my wife and I sat there and Caitlin sat there. And Kali, she got within that next space that, um, you know, she went from the public space to the social space. That's that four to 10 feet. You know, get a little bit more comfortable in the social space. These are the people we are acquainted with. You know, we know that they exist. Uh, we may have met them. We sometimes go to the same church or maybe school together. We, we see them at the gas station, uh, the grocery store. We've talked with them, but we've not gotten too close. We don't know a lot, a lot about them. We know we're acquainted. And some people have God in their social space. They have been in the services where they've even felt his presence. They have no doubt of his existence. None whatsoever. They have not ever had much intimate time with him, but they know that he is there. They've seen things and they are completely aware of his existence, but no intimate relationship. And then there's that personal space. You know, the, they get a little closer. You know, that's that 18 inches to four feet. You know, that, I don't know, 18 inches right there to four feet. Not everyone is allowed into our personal space. Uh, it was kind of strange when we were in New York City and we had to cram onto the subway and we are like, jam-packed with people that we didn't know that were like, you know, you're people right here you've never met in your life. And it's awkward. It's very strange. And we're all crammed in there. And after we were done, Ramaya, who had gone with us, she goes, isn't that weird? She goes, there's people right here in your face. You never met them in your life. And they're like all around you. And you're crammed in there. And she goes, I just wanted to say, hi, I'm Ramaya. We're from California. So they were, they were in that, you know, that were jammed in there. It's very uncomfortable. Um, has, has that, has that any, ever happened to you guys? You ever got into, I, sometimes I do it on purpose to some of these teenagers. I go and get in their space just to see what they say. I like to do it. You know, just go sit right next to them. Sometimes I, uh, <clears throat> I did this uh, yesterday. I went and. I pretended like Jasmine wasn't there, and I sat on her lap. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you get in their personal space a little bit, right? And uh, so that's, it's, it's, these people are a little bit closer. Um, these maybe are our close friends. 
We maybe do more things with them. We maybe hang out a little bit more. We're more comfortable with them. We've gotten to know them a little bit better. And some people have God in their personal space. You know, they've, they've, they've taken steps towards God. They've wanted, wanted to get a little closer. Uh, they want to spend a little daily time with him maybe or every once in a while or even if it's once a week or twice a week. It, they just kind of get in a little, they feel that draw to have a relationship with him. And maybe they even love being in his presence. But then there's that intimate space and that's that close physical contact to 18 inches. Not just anybody gets into the intimate space. Not, we don't let very many people into that intimate space right there. It's a small group of people. It could be our family members, our, our spouse, our children. It could be our parents, our close loved ones, and or close friends. These are the ones who know how we are. We can let down our hair around them. They really know who you are. They know a lot about you. They know how you would respond to certain things. They know how you think. They've heard our thoughts and we've heard their thoughts. Uh, those people who have God in their intimate space are the most blessed. They know him and he knows them. They know his voice and he knows their voice because he hears it. He knows their ways they know him well enough to tell when he is not pleased. And Brother Riddlesberger and I were talking about how in the book of Genesis, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in the sense of knowing God. But it says Adam knew Eve, his wife. You know, they knew each other in the biblical sense. You've heard that phrase before. Uh, they knew each other. They, come, they came to know each other in the biblical sense. Um, it was an intimate relationship. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And Cain knew his wife in Genesis 4, 17. She conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And uh, Genesis 4, 25, Adam knew his wife again. He, he already met her, I thought, but he knew her again. He came to know her again in a, the biblical intimate sense. So that knowledge, Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I know everything about you. But you've never been in this intimate space. You never allowed him to know you experientially. He's knocked on the door of your heart. You've never opened it and said, come in. I want to have relationship. I want to have fellowship. I want to have daily communion with you. Never really gotten there. And that's not a good thing. Because he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I know those that are mine, but I never knew you. So we need to be known of God. This needs to be something that uh, I want to know his voice. I want to hear his voice. I, I want to know what it, it's like when he speaks to me, which means I'm going to have to listen sometimes, which means I'm probably going to have to spend time kneeling down and, and worshiping and praising him, but also sometimes listening. Does he know you? 
We say it's important to know him. That's essential. It's the first essential. But he's got to know you. And just because you think you know him, it may not be true. You may not really know him. And so when he can say, I know you, then you know that you know him like you should know him. And something happens when you begin to know him. When you begin to develop that relationship with him, you want to make some changes. And I'm, you know, Kylie's learning about it right now. She's trying to develop a close relationship with this young man. <laughs> She's really interested. And, um, you know, Kylie, when you get married, sometimes you have to, you do things you don't really, you're interested in doing, you know. You make sacrifices. You get to know somebody. And when you've been in his presence, you realize sometimes there's some things that he's not happy with. It's not because he's a mean God and just doesn't want you to experience pleasures. He wants you to be happy. He wants what's best for you. But do we really know him? Does he know you? Are you known of God? Amen. That's the message. I've just been thinking about it this whole week. Been thinking about, we always say know him, make him known. But more important, rather be known of God. Rather be known of him. Amen. So I want to encourage you. If you don't feel like you know him, if you don't feel like you know his voice, to begin to seek him, to begin to listen, to begin to desire that relationship with him. Amen. Say that I'm 